Four congressmen sent a very strongly worded letter to the SEC and to Gary Gensler saying to approve a Bitcoin spot ETF immediately. So, of course, the SEC listened to Congress and went ahead and approved them, right? No, what they actually did was 45 minutes later, they kicked the can down the road further for ARC 21 shares and one of the other many in line. And they didn't even have to do that until November 11th. Was this just coincidence? Was it a strongly worded response to say we're not going to be bullied by Congress? Or is the SEC just trying to get ahead of a government shutdown because these things would start approving if the government shuts down and they don't have the staff to actually do it? We also had Gary Gensler in front of those very same four congressmen and others just taking an absolute backyard beating yesterday in Congress, which is probably meaningless, but we're all here for it. I've got two amazing guests today. When we want to talk ETS, we go to the people who are actually trying to get them. We've got Matt Hogan from Bitwise and Steve McClurg from Valkyrie. Let's go, guys. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit that like button. I do not want to waste any time, so I'm going to go ahead and bring on Matt and Steve right now, the guys who have aged at least 40 years in the last one year trying to get ETFs of any sort approved. I mean, this is insane. You heard what I talked about in the introduction, obviously, these very small group of congressmen. We would love to think that this is representative of the entire United States government, but there's a few that are clearly using this as a soundbite and believe very strongly in it. Do you think that the immediate sort of delay on ARC was coincidence? Was it the, is it the government shutdown? Was that the timing? Or do you think that Gensler was like, hit the button? <laughs> Whoever wants to jump in, you go first. I want to make it as uncomfortable as possible for the beginning. Oh, go ahead, Steve. He, he hit the button. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, the minute the minute Congress asked him to do something, um, he has zero respect for the courts. He has zero respect for Congress, and that's and that's very apparent. And uh, the minute they asked him to do something, he hit the button. Oh wow, Matt, what do you think? <laughs> I, I love that. I love that conspiracy theory from uh, from Steve. I, I think I think it's government shutdown, front running the government shutdown. I think is the actual story, but. It was nice to see a bipartisan group of senators uh, arguing for a spot Bitcoin ETF as being being good for America. I, I liked seeing that. Uh, I appreciate uh, the idea of the button, but uh, <laughs> I think it may be uh, efforts to get ahead of a potential government shutdown. Yeah, I mean, Gensler made it pretty clear that if it's shut down, they're going to be really down to a skeleton staff. So we know that that would definitely affect these approvals or denials. But does that to lead us just factually to mean that you get a de facto approval if it's not denied or delayed? Is that correct? So if a deadline passes and the government shut down and the SEC isn't working, do you just automatically get approved? Is that basically the mechanics? Steve, you want to take that? Sure. Um, it's I, I guess the real question is maybe. Um, right. <laughs> so, so so the so so what happens is is the SEC has as a date in which they can either deny, approve, or kick the can down the road. And um, those, those, those dates are starting to hit in, in, in October. 
Um, but kind of going back to my statement, um, I, I do believe that they were planning already to um, to go ahead and 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 kick the can down the road. Well, uh, Matt, you agree with that because you're saying that they're doing it ahead of the government shutdown, which means they were going to do it. I mean, that's their intention. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So so they were they were planning on doing it Thursday or Friday, and and the and the thing is, if that's what they were doing, they would have just let ever they they would have just um, uh, delayed everyone at the same time that that's actually what makes the most sense but the fact that they just started pushing the button you know the minute you got the letter that was kind of un uncalled for right um so uh but but i do believe that they were already in process in planning on hitting the delay button by by friday uh yeah. they yeah. just kind of made you know ha had a few go early and, and by the way they're yeah. still not done I mean, there's still a few outstanding but if They're they don't have delay, it's kind of like maybe may, maybe it automatically gets approved. I, I don't know. I okay, think, so Matt, what's the status with Bit? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to add. I mean, I can't speak to Bitwise's filing, uh, of course, but but on the on the on the key question, I know it, it may seem odd that uh, that Steve is saying maybe, but that is the reality. This is like uncharted waters that people are not. You know, the government's not supposed to shut down, even though we're now uh, unfortunately very familiar with it. Uh, and in a normal circumstance, uh, you know, people wouldn't launch controversial products during a government shutdown. But this, of course, is a normal circumstance. So I think I think maybe is the right answer. You know, th this is not my view is it's not the way to get a spot Bitcoin ETF, you know, through. I agree. But, uh, De facto, like by default, so that they can fight it later. The other question I, th I think, or the other, I think, important nuance here is that the SEC has the right to continue delaying these for now. The ARC one that was just delayed, which they didn't have to do until November 11th, now does have a final date in January. I think it would be very interesting if these October dates were not delayable, but were the actual final dates, what we would see in this scenario. Because the obvious decision, even being objective for the SEC right now, is to delay, not knowing what's coming with the government shutdown. Even if they haven't made a decision, well, we're not going to be forced into one. Right. So I think it would be really interesting to see this happening in January when they really have to make a decision, because that now seems like when we're going to get the first true clarity is going to be in January when ARC comes up. And, and that's just the spot ETF. Right. I'm going to bring up something to make Steve a little bit uncomfortable here because uh, I know you can't talk about it. But we still have the Ethereum futures ETF, which I think now I see a 90% chance right here. This came across a Bloomberg terminal this morning, 90% chance of launching in October. This is the blended Bitcoin and Ethereum futures ETF from Valkyrie, if you guys see Steve down there. And uh, that would be first to market. So I know you can't speak specifically about this, but talking about a spot ETF versus a futures, a spot ETF sort of has its own arguments, but an Ethereum futures ETF seems to align very well with the already approved Bitcoin futures ETFs. Is that a correct assessment? Yeah, it it, it would align <laughs> <laughs> very well. And by the way, we, like, you know, look, what we believe is this. Um, if you if you if you look at the actual market and, um, and, and you look at, you know, the Bitcoin futures ETFs that launched uh, two years ago, uh, you know, the, the first couple have a lot of AUM after that, they don't have much at all. So, um, you know, how much how much AUM are you actually going to get into a cure ETH futures? Uh, probably probably a lot less than collective for, for, for Bitcoin. Uh, but what we're noticing is that more people are interested in having a blended ETH and Bitcoin 
futures ETF because a spot is imminent for for Bitcoin. You know, why why, why would it matter? A spot's imminent for for ETH, which I don't think it is. Why would it matter? You know, in the future, but um, but but a lot of people are very interested in a in a blended Bitcoin ETH ETF, which is why we kind of went the route that we went. Yeah, I, I would just build on that. You know, we've been having a lot of conversations with uh, financial advisors and family offices recently. And I'll say that the tenor of conversations around crypto has changed from I want a crypto allocation to I want a like a crypto sleeve. Maybe I want Bitcoin. Maybe I want Ethereum. Maybe I want companies. I think I think more and more people are seeing it as an actual asset class. Whereas in the past, they sort of lumped it all together into one thing labeled crypto. And whether that meant you were in Bitcoin or Ethereum or Cardano or stocks, they didn't even know. But now they know and they're thinking about this and crafting portfolios the way uh, you craft them in, in stocks, right? They're thinking about putting together portfolios. And that's really been a change over the last six months uh, that, 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 that's come across loud and clear to me. Yeah. And, 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 and on that, most financial advisors don't want to say, hey, I'm going to put exactly 1% in Bitcoin and exactly 50 basis points in ETH. And this is how I'm going to you know, allocate my portfolio. They, they want somebody else to allocate for them. This is, this is the whole reason why they buy ETFs. It's not because they're out there stock picking themselves. There are a few advisors that do that. But most financial advisors want to lean on an expert to say, OK, this is the allocation that we see. So, uh, so, so again, that's 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 one of the reasons why we why we are going through this whole conversion of of going to a blended Bitcoin ETH futures ETF, so that we can make those decisions and they can lean on us to make those decisions for them. I, I'm sad to say, as a Valkyrie investor, that I have to ask, ask this question. But is it fifty fifty? I, I actually never bothered to look or ask. Or is it heavier in Bitcoin and lighter on Ethereum? It's it's up to fifty percent in Ethereum. But um, uh, but no, it's it's actively managed. We 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 make decisions, uh, which I think is the way that it should be. If it's going to be blended, obviously, as you said, they look to the experts to do it. When the first Bitcoin futures ETF launched, you guys were second, right, at, at Valkyrie. So the first one famously had a billion in AT AUM in the first two or three days, right? And then, as you said, sort of it. As they launch, they get less and less and less AUM. So how important is it to have the first mover advantage regardless of your name? Because, I mean, even the first one that went, I had pro, it was ProShares, right? I didn't even know who they were, right? I obviously knew who Valkyrie was, but, uh, but they got all the attention because they got all the press and they were the first one that people could buy. Yeah, and, and what's unique about ProShares is you probably wouldn't know who they were. They're not, they're not really retail-facing and they're not even really financial advisor-facing uh, they're, they're a firm that historically has faced um, more like momentum and, um, and, and hedge fund type shops uh, that, are, that are trading in and out in the same day. So, uh, so, so those firms are used to trading ETFs that hold futures and a lot of times levered and things like that. So, so, so that's really where, where their space is. But yeah, for one, day one, uh, it was about a billion dollars. It, it was the biggest ETF launch of all time. And then we went three days later. So even three days later, we raised $100 million, which is the 14th largest ETF launch of all time, even though we were second to market. So, so that's how big that opportunity was. And then, and then after that, what happened was, um, I think the next one was like 5 million and the next one was like a couple hundred thousand. So it, yeah. it, it definitely tapers off a lot after, after number two. 
It's yeah, also that, peak peak bull market, right? So uh, you know, yeah. it's a little different than the environment now. But go ahead, Matt. No, I was just going to say this is this has been true in ETF history forever, right? First, this is a first to market market uh, because the first to market ETF attracts the most liquidity, is the easiest to trade, is the most recognized. So uh, particularly in areas where um, it's almost a commodity like exposure, uh, like S and P five hundred exposure, or just exposure to one thing. You see this this uh, this first mover advantage in a major way. Yeah, I think that 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 makes a ton of sense. Do you think that the fact that we're kind of in a bear market now versus that bull market launch at that time will have a meaningful difference? And also, this is Ethereum kind of versus Bitcoin, right? Because anyone who was going to do a Bitcoin only futures has had that option for years already. So the people who are going to buy this are specifically interested in having the Ethereum exposure, presumably. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll 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 go ahead and go. I you know that so so that was you know two years ago in a bear market. I mean, sorry, in a bull market. Um, you know, Bitcoin is obviously bigger, um, and I think there was a total of about something like one point three billion in 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 week one. Um, if if I had to predict based based on the work that we've done, there's there's probably about two hundred million to go around uh, in this uh, in this Ethereum launch. Sorry. So it's a sixth of the size. I think that that's accurate considering the market and considering um, that it's ETH and, and, and not Bitcoin. So uh, Gensler himself actually was asked directly uh, if we would see a Bitcoin spot ETF. This is what he had to say. I'm going to play a video really quick. So people approve can see. the listing of spot Bitcoin ETPs after your recent loss in court uh, to Grayscale. Now that the SEC has the court's decision in hand, uh, rejecting your rationale for denial, does the SEC plan to approve the current pending spot Bitcoin ETF applications? Uh, thank you for your letter. I did read it last night. Um, uh, again, we're still taking this under advisement. It's a recent court action and staff and commissioners will take it up uh, as appropriate. The, the court concluded that the SEC's denial of grayscale lacked, quote, a coherent explanation and then, quote unquote, falls short of the standard for reasoned decision making and then was, quote unquote, arbitrary and capricious. How do you explain the SEC's actions there? Um, we uh, do that which we do under the law as best we can. Uh, sometimes things go into court. We're still considering that court uh, decision. I think it was a district court. Uh, I'm sorry, it was appellate court. It was appellate court, yeah, we're still considering say. that appellate court uh, decision. Uh, and um, I don't want to get ahead of the staff or my fellow so he's just never going to answer these questions. So here's my question. We just talked about first mover advantage. What if the first mover is one of the seven or eight applications and the second mover is BlackRock? Does first mover advantage apply to BlackRock? Well, let me take a shot here. Uh, even before we do, let's pause for a moment and think about the fact that we have uh, senators talking about spot Bitcoin ETFs. There's often like a lot of doom and gloom in crypto daily coverage. But if you rewound four years and said we would have people stumping for a spot Bitcoin ETF in the halls of the Senate, uh, I would have called you crazy. So it, it, it is it is nice uh, to see that. On the BlackRock front, the, the actual fact of the matter, if you look at the history of ETFs, is in specialty areas of the market, specialty providers tend to do really well. If you look at like MLPs, which is an area of the energy market, that was won by a small firm in Texas called Alarian. If you look at commodities, the first commodity ETFs were launched at the same time by Deutsche Bank and seven guys in Oakland. 
And the seven guys in Oakland won that market. They're called U.S. Commodity Funds. So first mover advantage is still a, a, a big deal. But we shouldn't assume that BlackRock, as great as they are, as much distribution as they have, will dominate the market. I think they will add to the market. They will grow the market and they'll be a big player. But uh, the history of ETFs is actually pretty favorable to, uh, to firms uh, like Valkyrie, uh, firms like Bitwise, uh, when it comes to winning this market share. And if you didn't believe that, you'd have thrown your hands up already, right? Now that BlackRock <laughs> is in the market. I mean, that makes sense. And not everybody wouldn't be applying still if they thought that it was just a de facto winner, right? Steve, you were about to comment. Well, I, and, and I was going to say, you know, it, it also it, it also has to do with who the buyers are, right? Because um, there, there are, Matt's right. There's a lot of folks that prefer the, uh, and I'll go ahead and just say it, the, the experts like Bitwise and Valkyrie, you know? These, you know, that that actually all we do is is crypto, right? Uh, but there's also a large segment that will always purchase the tried and true, right? Um, you know, when for for instance, when a um, when a pension fund uh, doesn't, you know, the you know when 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 pension funds have people that don't want to lose their jobs, that's 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 their job, not lose their job. Uh, you might lose your job by by going and allocating to somebody that nobody's heard of, but you'll never lose your job by allocating to BlackRock. Yeah. Right. And if BlackRock messes up, it's like, oh yeah, but it's BlackRock, you know, if somebody else messes up. It's like, oh man, you're fired. So that's really the reality of way, the way it works. Same, same thing with, with, with financial advisors. So um, on the one hand, um, you know, the, the boutique specialized shops like us are going to get flows no matter what. And then BlackRock is going to get flows no matter what, right? So, um, so I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's I think it's depending on on on, on who the allocator is and their thought process as an allocator. And, and by the way, a lot of allocators think, you know, their thought process is okay. We're gonna we're gonna choose one specialized shop, and then we're gonna cho choose one behemoth, and then and then and then make allocations to both. both. And, and that's how a lot of people actually yeah. think as well. So. So yeah, so so yeah, we're not throwing our hands up. I don't think you know Bitwise is throwing. I don't think any of us are throwing our hands up. We're we're going after it because we know we have that market segment. But 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 BlackRock also has its market segment, no matter what. And you 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 can see this already in the crypto market. Uh, Fidelity has been additive to the market, giant financial firm. But it's not like Fidelity has taken a hundred percent of the AUM flow. Right. right, you can buy Bitcoin on Fidelity. I mean, you, you can. can buy Bitcoin yeah. on Fidelity, and yet Valkyrie's doing well, Bitwise is doing well, Nidig, others, special, and Coinbase is doing well. Right, That's I right. mean, it's, Coinbase yeah. is doing. This is another mistake people make. People assume if we get an ETF, it'll eat Coinbase's lunch. And again, all history suggests is all it does is it makes the pie bigger, right? Like if you look at what happened to gold, demand for gold bars didn't decrease when there was a gold ETF. It's just we also got demand for ETFs. And trading on Coinbase isn't going to go down when we get an ETF. I think it will go up and we'll also have trading in an ETF if it launches. It's all this sort of stacked adding. But by the way, this is why when you go to an ETF conference, you'll see competitors like myself and Matt and Jan Van Eck and others all having beers together. You know why? Because yeah, we're competitors, but we all know the secret of if there's one ETF in market, it gets a little bit of it gets a little bit of flows, but once there's like two or three, then you've got more education out there, and it and it all builds upon each other, right? So, um, you know, if you've got three ETFs in market, you're going to get 10x the flows. You're going to have 10x the AUM across the board than just one. Yeah, 
And so we're, we're all friendly competitors in this, in this space. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've always been way too small for the infighting that we see in this industry in the first <laughs> place. I mean, Matt, you were talking about sort of how surreal it is that this is even being talked about in Congress, that we have bills in Senate. Uh, let's add to that. Presidential candidates are making their position clear on Bitcoin. And then on the flip side, you still have this. Into crypto. Oh, here, let's see. Since we started out on BitConf, let's go further into crypto. By the way, that would make a great beat. Since we started out on BitConf, let's Let's go go further into... That would make a great beat. So she called it BitCom. If you guys didn't hear the entire quote, she went on to say, talk about Terror Luna, and she called it a Ponzi scream. A Ponzi scream. I'm not kidding. She said, BitCom, Terror Luna, and Ponzi scream... In one uh, thing, she also praised Gensler. She said he's doing exactly the job the American people want. And by American people, she means Elizabeth Warren and Maxine Waters. Um, And that he's doing a great job and he's fantastic and he's wonderful. And these are the people that were taking selfies with SBF, right? Oh, and she also went on to say that the uh, Republicans were in this committee were anti-tech and advancement and it, it was insane. So I don't know if you guys saw that, but so the bottom line here is we still have a lot of work to do. Is that a fair to say that like uh, we, we've, we've converted a few of these people, but oh my God, Bitcom? I mean, <laughs> look, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defend Maxine Waters for a moment. Um, when you're just reading a paper and you don't know what you're talking about, Bitcoin yeah, would look like Brad Bitcoin Sherman do it a hundred times. Yeah. They shouldn't say Bitcon. That would have been worse, right? I mean, but Matt, like, we, we still we, we still have a long way to go. We still have a long way to go. And there's still significant risks to crypto. We shouldn't look past them from a legislative front. Right. The 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 our view on legislation and regulation is uh, you first want to do no harm and then hopefully we make progress toward regulatory clarity. There is still risk that harm will be done. Right. We're seeing that in the DeFi space uh, right now with some of the broker definitions. So, yeah, at, at Bitcom you know, land, we're not, uh, we're not out of the woods, but I'm still, you know, I'm still optimistic about what I see. We're in a better place than we were four years ago. We're the better place on ETFs as well. You know, uh, it is worth noting, we didn't get ETFs in Clayton. We didn't get ETFs in white. We have at least gotten Bitcoin futures ETFs. So uh, yeah. progress is slower than we'd like. But, but we're, we're only going in the right direction. I don't think that there's a question about that. And I think you're right, Steve. I think it's just hard to read that small font when you're uh, getting older. I, I really think that's all it is. But still, I have that problem. I'm not making fun of old people. Too, I, I need readers. Me too. I've literally aged rough. 50 years in the last week. Well, this is one of the uh, the clips that got a lot of attention. This is from Richie Torres, obviously a Democrat who who've been on Twitter spaces before. But to me, of all these things, we can laugh at the Tanya Hardings. We can play all those clips, right? They're hilarious. They're great sound bites. But this one really struck me as Gensler has no answers. I don't know if you guys saw this one, but it's pretty 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 compelling. Pokemon card. It's I, Fair, I don't. Let me get back to the. Uh, you can purchase a Pokemon card. It's I, I don't know what the context is, but if you're okay. just purchasing a Pokemon card. If I purchase a Pokemon card, is that a security store, transaction? That's not a security. Okay. If I were to purchase a tokenized Pokemon card on a digital exchange via a blockchain, is that a security transaction? I, I'd have to know more. Okay. <laughs> so, so for you, the process of tokenization is what transforms a non-security transaction said, into you, a security you, transaction? Look. It, if, if the investing, I thought you public, were technology neutral. If the investing public is anticipating profits based upon the efforts of others and they're exchanging funds, that's the core. I see my time has expired. So, I mean, 
it's the same thing. I'm sorry. It shouldn't matter if it's digital or if it's not. And we all know that they believe that NFTs and that any token is effectively a security. So I guess the, the, the last kind of idea here is that can any of this real progress be made with Gensler or is it just a matter of time and we win when he's gone? I mean, not to say that he wouldn't be replaced by somebody worse, but clearly he's never going to give the answers that we want. He's never going to define these things and he's never going to prove anything that he doesn't feel like he literally has to. Is that fair? You know, my, my view is that the, the best ultimate answer lies in, in legislation. Uh, I, you know, I, I do think the rules aren't particularly clear on the frontiers of technology, and this is one of those frontiers. And I think the answer is going to lie there. We might make incremental progress under this commission or that commission at incrementally different rates, but the step function change, I think, is going to require some level of, uh, of legislative clarity if we want to go, you know, from zero to a hundred and not, you know, one to two mile an hour. I don't know what, what Steve thinks. Yeah, I, I agree. A absolutely. It, it, it's, it's going to be legislation because look, I'm, I'm a firm believer that there are actually rules in place and those rules make sense. And we stay within those rules. Um, and a lot of people throw their hands up and say, Oh, there's no regulatory clarity. Well, there, there is regulatory clarity. But one of the problems is, is the structure of the SEC kind of conflates the rules a little bit. So one piece of legislation that I'm a big fan of is what Warren Davidson proposed yesterday, uh, and that's changing the structure of the SEC. Yeah, he proposed that a few months ago, the SEC Stabilization Act, where basically he says there's Gensler gets to stay. He, he would like to fire Gary Gensler, but Gensler gets to stay, but it's basically becomes every vote is equal and it's a panel rather than the commissioner having extra, uh, ha having extra power, which seems so incredibly reasonable, especially when you have people like, I believe his name's Urieta and Hester Peirce there who now just publicly dissent to everything with very reasonable arguments. I mean, listen, Pastor Peirce, literally, we were talking about this yesterday uh, with John Reed Stark. He, he said that basically de facto Hester Peirce would just become the commissioner if there's regime change, even if it's just interim, because she would be the senior member of the other party before they appoint someone else. I mean, can you imagine if the SEC is in its current iteration without a change and you just switch out Gensler for Peirce? I mean, it would be like, a, and it, she's not even pro-crypto. She's just pro-being a reasonable person with a brain, right? So, I mean... I really think regime change or just a new uh, breath of fresh air regime within the same party that has a different view would change everything. You guys agree. Clearly, I'm getting the nod. I, I agree with you, Scott. Yeah. I, I, by I the way, I'm going to make this statement, right? I'm going to. So uh, if, if, if you've, you know, when I've been on your show or, or, or anybody else's, when people start talking or trashing Gensler and that, I've always been very neutral, kind of like Matt is right now. You are, you're smart. And this you guys have to be. I've changed, and I'll tell you why later. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'm calling you literally right after this is done. Okay. <laughs> and Matt, you get the final thought before I let you guys go. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. I mean, my big thought uh, is that is, is the one I mentioned earlier, which is, you know, across multiple different areas, I do think we're making progress. It's easy to get focus on the stumbling blocks. Uh, but I think we're seeing progress uh, and I think it's accelerating, which is exciting. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like uh, we kind of joke about, you know, first they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win phases. If the then they fight you phase had to come, 
we have all the right fighters in place and everything is progressing, I think, correctly. So I, I'm extremely optimistic. It's hard not to report on these momentary, temporary negative setbacks. But I, I don't think there's a single person here who doesn't think eventually we get a spot ETF approved or eventually we get some sort of loss, right? So it's it's just a matter of time. And honestly, with this gridlock and deadlock and the SEC kind of making no progress, fine, we'll just wait, right? And then it'll get better. So that's my opinion. Matt, uh, Steve, guys, their description's down in the, in the uh, their Twitter is down in the description. You should be following both of them, especially to keep up with going on this. And I just love having you guys on, man. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Steve, you're going to get a call like 10 or 3. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> awesome, man. I love getting uh, actual insight from people who know things as opposed to uh, spewing my own bad takes on my half-baked research, which is what we uh, generally do on, on YouTube as YouTubers, right? I do want to show you, before I bring on Dan, you know we've got uh, obviously Dan from Chart Guys. I do want to show you a few more of my favorite clips from the Gensler hearing here because they are pretty amazing. Here's the Tanya Harding one I alluded to before. Pretty good, pretty good soundbite here. Mr. Chairman, I, I really liked your colorful uh, testimony. Uh, and you're right, we are blessed with the largest, most sophisticated, most innovative capital markets in the world. But we cannot take this for granted. Even a gold medalist must keep training. With all due respect, Mr. Chairman, if the US capital markets are a gold medalist, you are the Tanya Harding of securities regulation because you are kneecapping the U.S. capital markets with the avalanche of red tape coming out of your commission. Oh, my God. I mean, that's pretty good, right? It, for those of you who don't remember, you might be too young. But if you're my age, the one of the greatest controversies of all time was when Nancy Kerrigan, the leading uh, figure skater, in the United States, well, Tanya Harding was her competitor and she just had someone like try to break Nancy Kerrigan's knees. Right. Uh, she kneecapped her literally specifically. This is another one that I really enjoyed because Gensler tried to get cute and funny and it didn't go that great. I inherited not only from them, but I inherited from my dad a real allergy to cats. And it's real. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, well, we don't have time for that. I'm reclaiming my time. Uh, we can have a cat visit. Uh, we can do the kitty part later. <laughs> I mean, and then finally, the one place where we did actually get some clarity that we already had here. On you Bitcoin, on you, Bitcoin. You've made comments on this. You believe Bitcoin is is not a security. Is that true? Well, I think the staff, the SEC have also uh, and the just prior well, I'm just asking you this question, and this is not a gotcha. I thought there's going to be an easy softball into harder questions. You think Bitcoin is a security? No, I think I've said this in the past that I think that it's. I'm asking you to answer test. my question now. This is not supposed to be hard. I know. I said it just does not meet the Howey test, which is the, the okay. law of the land about being. So an investment it doesn't meet the Howey test. So therefore, it's a commodity. Is that fair? Won't say that. I, I, I would say it's not a security, and then the test is otherwise for other okay. uh, laws. It's a commodity, guys. It's a security, a commodity. The guy won't ever answer any single question, but to be quite frank, he clearly doesn't care. It's part of his job to just show up and take his beating for an hour every, uh, every couple months and then go back about his business. I think that that's what's happening here. It's fun to dunk and to watch it and to see it happen, but I don't think that these uh, hearings are really moving the needle. All right, now we can actually move on to what you guys care about, which is charts and markets and taking a look at what's happening right now. It's been a pretty exciting week. I've got Dan 
Anything brand new in your mind after uh, last week? We've seen some definite uh, serious volatility. Yields are pumping like crazy. The dollar continues to rage out of control. And stocks are looking a bit iffy to me. Yeah, the, the bears have had full control since the FOMC last week. And we've got, uh, you know, Bitcoin. We could say it's holding on well. And we could say that about the metals three days ago. I talked about the metals, you know, at the end of the last show. But the dollar took out the metals uh, yesterday with a big dump. And so it's just a question of can Bitcoin continue withstanding? You know, for me, it's it's a lot of people don't like correlations because they come and go and you really got to stay on top of them. And we could say right now, Bitcoin is ignoring a lot of, you know, the broader market weakness and the dollar strength. But for me, it's an overhanging like, yeah, we're holding support and holding well. But to have confidence, we need to see, you know, some things align in other areas of the market. And so, you know, if Bitcoin can trade sideways while the market finds a new support level and while the dollar hits a temporary top, it could be positioned well to uh, continue some of this bounce. And, you know, I'm zoomed out a little bit right now because things are getting a little choppy on the shorter term timeframes. And when things slow down and volume slows down, uh, it's important to zoom out a little bit so we don't, you know, react to, you know, the five minute candles, which really don't mean anything bigger picture. And so, you know, right now I'm on the two day timeframe for Bitcoin. And we're going to be looking for a break of a tightening two-day range sometime early October. And really, that's going to be the next, next bit of information that we're looking for. Yeah, I think on Tuesday was one of the stranger days for the uh, quote-unquote correlations. Like, and I can't, I don't want to say that that was the day. But there was a day it was stocks were up, but the dollar was also up. But gold was also up, but Bitcoin was down. I, you know, it, We're really seeing some very strange movements, but I think it's very important to note what you said. I think Bitcoin is chopping sideways is very good news that it's not correlated and dumping with other things. But if we're being intellectually honest, it's because people are apathetic and there's just not that much interest in it at all, right? So uh, you can kind of, I think, skin it through either of those lenses. But to me, I will take definitely it as good news. Now, you did just mention that metals finally dumped. So listen, we, we had this sort of narrative of late that, wow, gold is really holding its own, even with the dollar going and with yields going crazy. And for anyone who doesn't understand, and I talked about this the other day, historically, gold should go up when yields are going down because people think that, hey, it's, I, you know, it'll hold its value. It's great. But when yields start going up, people sell things like gold because they can go get yield. Right. And so it was kind of curious that yields, I mean, this is 10 year yields, guys, if you haven't seen the chart. Right. I mean, this thing is just skyrocketing, you know, approaching 5% here. You would think that everybody would be selling their gold into this because there's no yield in, in holding that gold. Well, now we're finally seeing that crack. So do you think that now the, oh, hold, gold's holding its own, Chinese, China's buying it, the Chinese are buying it, central banks are buying it? Do you think that maybe that was just uh, wishful thinking? <laughs> Yeah, to a certain degree. Uh, it's, you know, the lowest level we've seen in five or six months right now. And it was, you know, essentially a tightening range that eventually just rolled over. And uh, again, the, the fact that if there was ever a time for, for Bitcoin bears to go on the offensive and to take out that $25,000 support, I mean, to have the dollar screaming higher, to have the broader market dumping 5% in, you know, six days or whatever it's been since the FOMC, uh, that would be the time for the bears to go on offensive and they're they're not doing so. So uh, again, that is a, a win to just go sideways. For me, it's always, you know, imagining a battle or a sport or a war or whatever, and it's bulls versus bears. And we could say the bulls are playing defense well, but we're not seeing any offense from the bulls. And so the question will be, you know, once the dollar does hit a temporary top and once the markets do find a new support level, 
Does that mean that the Bitcoin bulls can make their move to try and get up to the recent highs of 27,500, 28,000 and try and go on a little bit of offense? And that's really the next piece of the puzzle that we're looking for. I would love to see what you're looking at uh, with the metal charts, if you don't mind me sharing. This is gold on the monthly, obviously. And so you can see that this month, it's basically traded down from a high of around 1950 down to 1875. I think it's also important to note, guys, that September is just almost always bad. And that has been the case once again here. Like, So no, no real surprise to me that stocks have underperformed in September and that gold's dumping a little bit. But this time, I do think it's because of what's happening with the dollar and with yields. Yeah, this is the monthly time frame for gold. And, and we have a triple top that everybody can see from space. You know, it's a level everybody's looking at, the all-time high. And so we've now rejected from that. And I look at my FIB retracements here. And if we pull back, you know, 50, we're approaching the 50% retracement. If we get to that level, that's when I start looking for tightening ranges to become most likely. And so if you hold the 382 retracement, you look for a potential bull flag, but once you lose that and you go towards 50%, you know, it's possible gold pulls back and then sets a higher low and then bounces for a while. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at so many monthly charts and three-month charts in, you know, the stock market, the metals, uh, and, and Bitcoin and crypto. And it's just shaping up that, you know, it might be a boring first half of 2024. It's entirely possible that markets just tighten up because, you know, the most common thing that you see in technical analysis after periods of significant volatility in both directions. And we certainly had that, you know, the 2021 euphoria, 2022 bear market. Uh, you look for long-term tightening ranges as the, you know, scales of supply and demand try and balance out a little bit. And so that's entire, you know, I'm preparing for the possibility that it is a boring uh, longer term tightening range for a while from here. And, uh, you know, that's the case for the dollar. Now, the more it drops, the more I'm going to be looking for to trade between, you know, the, the low here of 1615 and the high of 2067. I mean, it's entirely possible we spend the majority of 2024 within this range. Yeah, I think that uh, everybody's so passionately either bearish or bullish for what's coming and crabbish is probably the most likely scenario. It's exactly yeah. what you're saying. Just I mean, look at what Bitcoin is doing now. Imagine if all markets did that for the next year. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you look at the dollar. This is the three month time frame. There's our big breakout. There's our big pullback. You know, if we set a lower high and a higher low, next thing you know, that's six months going by. So it's I'm just seeing it on so many things where... Uh, that is something that everybody should be preparing for is the potential that long-term tightening ranges are on tap for the next, you know, potentially six months. And uh, for me, that means, you know, I always talk as a trader about pump, knowing when to pump the gas and pump the brakes and, you know, our bull markets, we're pumping the gas, we're trading actively, uh, we're moving significant capital. And then when we recognize tightening ranges and declining volume, uh, it's important to pump those brakes and ensure that we're not trading the same way because that's when we give back gains. You know, the people that trade a bull market and keep trading that same way once we start topping out, uh, that's when you get back those gains. So uh, it's important to, you know, ease up a little bit and remain patient. And that's why I, you know, suggest zooming out to the longer term timeframes because, you know, I see people when there's tightening ranges and they're talking about one minute candles and it's just like, you know, that's, that's too zoomed in. You got to zoom out and, and wait for the bigger picture to develop more. Right. So as a day trader, then how will you approach this? I mean, I know obviously you, you know, look in your, into uranium and you find a sector that you think is going to move, or you look into marijuana and you perfectly called that sector was going to move uh, right before it did. I mean, do you find that there's always something to trade 
if you look hard enough, even in those kind of markets, or is it literally just like I'm sitting on my hands and I'll see you in, you know, I'm, I'm going to a music festival, I'll see you in a week. I go, uh, sit in the mud in, uh, in Burning Man for two yeah. weeks. And, yeah. uh, it's, there's, there's generally always something, but, uh, you know, it's, it's the difference between having a couple names versus having 50 names. So uh, it takes a little bit harder to find those things. But there is always volatility somewhere. And then, you know, you got your three times leveraged ETFs. So you can use those to try and get a little bit bigger pieces of the pie. Um, so, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, uranium has definitely been the star of the show recently. And here we are testing even today, or just now. You called that last week, too. And they're all uh, up. Yeah, that's I was I'm a little bit cautious now just because, you know, the weekly time frame is getting a bit extended. But you know, we just had first hourly oversold conditions yesterday leading to higher highs, which is exactly what bulls want to see. Uh, so at this point, the only cautionary thing for this is CCJ, which is one of the major names. If we were to pull back hard from this open this morning, we would be a little bit cautious of a rising wedge type of pattern just where we bull break. And whenever you bull break into straight into consolidation, it means start to be a little bit cautious. So uh, today's a pretty important bit, day to me to see if we close strong or not. But uh, essentially, you know, anybody that's not in uranium right now, you're waiting for weekly consolidation to have better risk and reward and, you know, look for a higher low because there's tons of space for a higher low to form. Once we do top out, uh, it's just patiently waiting at this point. Uh, yeah, that was the kind way of saying you should have listened last week. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's we've been talking about uranium for over a year. I, and we've I got yeah, we've yeah, got a yeah. we've got a chart guys member who's like uranium is his thing. And he's been you know putting out so much information and he's getting a little frustrated because it's like this is everything that he was talking about. And still nobody cares. Meanwhile, he's, you know, having a fantastic year because he's been positioning for this for so long. But you should the main be excited. Thing, you yeah, should be excited. You want be. to be the only guy who gets it. Exactly. You don't want everybody to agree. When they all agree is when he's going to start shorting into you guys. So let's let's tie this in here. CCJ, this uranium play, had a year-long monthly equilibrium. Just tighter and tighter. Nothing going on. Everything is boring. And then once the long-term tightening range breaks, there's your opportunity. And so if we get these long-term tightening ranges in markets and in, in other places, uh, again, it means that you know, I, I welcome it. Yes, it means it's going to be boring for a while, but you know that when those tightening ranges break, you usually get significant follow through. And so that's essentially, you know, giving you clarity. And so it's something to embrace. It's just, it takes, it takes patience. And a lot of people don't have patience, but uh, this is a good time to develop that skill set. Awesome. That makes perfect sense. So that means that if this premise is correct based on these monthly charts, that maybe at the end of 2024, we start looking for, you know, last four or five months going into the election season, we start looking at uh, these things, making those breaks out of consolidation if that happens. By the way, guys, these are just theoretical ideas, but you just want to wait until if we see all of these sort of consolidate and higher lows, lower highs coming into a tightening range, there's going to be that moment where it's very clear which direction they're heading. Yeah. And this is the NASDAQ on the three month time frame. So again, very long term. Essentially, the bears need a good bit more follow through from here. So the bears want to control into the end of the year, because again, we look at retracement size. You know, if, if I'm a NASDAQ bear and I want to see a long term tightening range, most of 2024, uh, I want to see a pullback here. Let's see another just going to measure percentage from where we stand today. I would want to see another drop of, you know, another 10 percent to get right back snug in the middle of that range after that big bull move over the summer. 
Uh, so the Bears do still have a little bit of proving to do here over the next couple of months. But if they do, then again, that that tightening range becomes the most likely scenario. I love it. Perfect. Anything else you're looking at? Uh, let's see. We, we will be looking for cannabis weekly higher lows. But, you know, it's it's funny. I was listening to your previous guests and and the, the slow dragging on of the, the government on these ETFs. And it just reminds me of cannabis, you know, cannabis reform and how slow and how long it takes. And so, you know, we have positive headlines in cannabis, but now we're looking out, you know, maybe the next three to six months where we have to wait for the next uh, headline to, to try and continue that momentum. So, you know, we look at the name like MSOS, we have the euphoria run, we have the weekly consolidation. And again, it's, you know, a potential weekly tightening range. We'll look for the higher low, maybe then we'll look for the lower high. So uh, another, another a spot to look for a weekly higher low eventually, but longer term tightening range. Perfect. Love it, man. Thank you so much for everything that you do for joining as always guys follow Dan. Uh, I, we never even talk about it, but like what, how can people follow you even closer with chart guides? You mentioned you have a member. So talk about what you guys are offering. Yeah, we got a, a chat room community. Uh, we've had it for the last eight and a half years. Uh, really, you know, trading is a lonely game. It's just a place where we all come together uh, and just every walk of life, but we share the common goal of we want to profit and we want to help each other and we want to learn. And so it's just a really, you know, conducive space for progress. And, you know, the, as you learn technical analysis and try to become a trader, you realize that, you know, it requires becoming a better person as well, emotional control and all of these psychological aspects. You know, it's one thing to learn technical analysis. A lot of people can do that easily. It's another thing to master, you know, the psychological aspect of the game. So just, you know, support and interacting with full-time traders and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff that I don't put on, you know, YouTube and Twitter and all that. So chartguys.com is where we have that. Awesome. Everybody check it out. Thank you, Dan. We'll see you. Uh, see you soon. Thanks, Scott. I'm in. All right, guys. That's all we got. Oh, I think we had one more. Uh... Oh, well, let's, let's watch uh, Gensler get dunked on just a little more. We got one more clip. Good way to go out, right? I identify with uh, both uh, the conference chair's remarks and Michael Cloud's uh, remarks, but for me, it's a big day in Congress uh, for more reasons than what uh, we've talked about so far. Today, SEC Chair Gary Gensler is going to testify before the House Financial Services Committee. And boy, does he have a lot to answer for. Under Gary Gensler's leadership, I would say, failed leadership, the SEC has been an incompetent cop on the beat. Throughout his career, Gensler has been relentlessly loyal to the biggest institutions at the expense of everyday Americans. Today, he's going to face some important questions about that. Gary Gensler has worked to consolidate his own power, even though it means crushing opportunities and, frankly, the financial future of this country. This strategy hasn't been successful for him. As you note, the SEC continues to lose again and again in the courts on its crusade against digital asset innovation. So it should be increasingly obvious that the crypto industry is not an industry rife with noncompliance. Rogue bureaucrats like Gary Gensler are supposed to be working for the people, not reigning over them. I, for one, would like to see the SEC return to its mission and make sure that they protect opportunities for every American who wants to participate in the greatest capital markets in the world. Digital asset innovation is an important part of that. Despite what Gary Gensler thinks, he is not a government of one. 
He is a bureaucrat who answers to Congress, and I look forward to having him before our committee today. And now I turn it over to our beloved leader, the toughest man in Congress, Steve Solis. Yeah, I really wish, by the way, I, if I had the time and I still produce music and I actually cared, I would make a beat out of this for sure. Like this loop of uh, Maxine Waters. Since we, started, since we started out on BitConf, let's go for the intercrypt. Since we started out on BitConf, let's since go for the BitConf, Let's go further into crypto. It'd be so good. Since, since we started out on BitConf, let's go further into crypto. Since we started out on BitConf, 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 Anyways, that's what I would have done. That's what I would have done, but now the idea is out there. Somebody just run with it. Anyways, guys, that's all I got for you. Going to go head over to Twitter Spaces, and I will see you guys back tomorrow. We got NLW, and we're doing the Friday Five. Love it. Going to be great. See you then. Bye.